Chapter Sixteen of the Andes and the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Andes and the Amazon by James Orton. Chapter Sixteen. We left Pebas for Tabatinga in the Peruvian steamer Morona, Captain Raigado. Going up to Jerusalem by railroad or ascending the Nile by a screw whisking the sacred waters, is not so startling as the sight of a steamer in the heart of South America. There is such a contrast between the primeval wildness of the country and the people, and this triumph of civilized life, and one looks forward to the dazzling future of this great valley, when the ships of all nations will crowd the network of rivers for the gold and perfumes, the gems and woods of this western ofer. The natives call the steamer the devil's boat, or big canoe, but they manifest little curiosity. Our Napo Indians were evidently afraid of it, and stood afar off. The first steamers that broke the deep solitude of the Maranon were the Hualaga and Tirado, brought out in 1853 by Dr. Whitemore for Peru. They were built in New York, of Georgia pine, costing Peru $75,000, and reflected no credit on the United States. They lie rotting near Nauta. Peru has now two iron steamers of London make, the Morona and Pastaza, besides two smaller craft for exploring the tributaries. These steamers are for government service, but three more are building in England with passenger accommodations. The Morona has a tonnage of 500 and an engine of 150 horsepower. The engineers are English and the cook is a Chinaman. She makes monthly trips between Yurimaguas on the Huayaga River and Tabachinga on the Brazilian frontier. Her rate downstream is 18 miles an hour and from 11 to 12 against the current. These steamers do not pay expenses at present but they preserve the authority of Peru on the Maranon, and supply with material the government works at Iquitos. They also do a little commerce, taking down Sarsaparilla and Moyabamba hats, and bringing up English dry goods. There were not half a dozen passengers on board. The only towns of any consequence west of Pebas are Iquitos, Nauta, and Yurimaguas. Peru claims them. In fact, all the villages on the Maranon. Iquitos is the most thriving town on the upper Amazon. It is situated on an elevated plain on the left bank of the river, sixty miles above the mouth of the Napo. In Herndon's time it was a fishing village of 227 inhabitants. It now contains 2,000. Here are the government ironworks, carried on by English mechanics. In 1867, there were six engineers, two iron molders, two brass molders, two coppersmiths, three blacksmiths, three pattern makers, two boiler makers, five shipwrights, three sawyers, besides bricklayers, brickmakers, carpenters, coopers, etc., in all forty-two. All the coal for the furnaces is brought from England. The lignite on the banks of the Maranon is unfit for the purpose. A floating dock for vessels of a thousand tons has just been built. Nauta lies on the north bank of the Maranon, opposite the entrance of the Ucayali. 
its inhabitants about a thousand, trade in fish, sarsaparilla, and walks from Ucayali. Yurimaguas is the port of Moyabamba, a city of ten thousand souls, six days' travel southwest. This vast eastern slope, lying on the branches of the Maranon, is called the Montaña of Peru. It is a region of inexhaustible fertility, and would yield ample returns to energy and capital. The villages are open to foreign commerce, free of duty, but at present the voice of civilized men is seldom heard, save on the main fluvial highway between Moyabamba and the Brazilian frontier. The Portuguese are the most adventurous traders. The value of imports to Peru by the Amazonian steamers during 1867 was $324,533, of exports $267,748. In two hours and a half we arrive at Maucayacta, or Old Town, an Indian village on the right bank of the river. Here our passports were vised by the Peruvian governor, and the steamer wooded up. One of the hands of the Morona was Manuel Medina, a mameluco, who was employed by Bates and Agassi in their explorations. We left at noon of the following day, and anchored for the night off Caballococha, for the Peruvian steamers run only in the daytime. Caballococha, or Horse Lake, is a Ticuna town, situated on a level tract of light loam, closely surrounded by the dense forest, and beside a caño of clear water leading to a pretty lake. Ecuador claims this town, and likewise all the settlements on the Maranon, but her learned geographer, Villa Vicencio, with characteristic ignorance of the country, has located it on the north bank of the river. We passed in the afternoon the little tug Napo, having on board Admiral Tucker, the rebel, who, with some associates, is exploring the tributaries of the upper Amazon for the Peruvian government. They had just returned from a voyage of two hundred and fifty miles up the Javadi. One of the party had a tame tiger-cat in his arms. We arrived at Loreto early the next morning. This village of twenty houses and a church is prettily situated on the left bank, with a green slope in front. It is the most easterly town of Peru on the Amazon. Here resides Mr. Wilkins, the Brazilian consul, of German birth but North American education. The inhabitants are Peruvians, Portuguese, Negroes, and Ticuna Indians. The mosquitoes hold high carnival at this place. In two hours we were at San Antonio, a military post on the Peruvian frontier, commanded by a French engineer, Manuel Charon, who also studied in the United States. One large building and a flagstaff on a high bluff of red clay were all that was visible of San Antonio, but the Morona brought down a gang of Indians, impressed, no doubt, to build a fort for twenty guns. The site is in dispute, a Brazilian claiming it as private property. The white barracks of Tabachinga, the first fortress in Brazil, are in plain sight, the voyage consuming but twenty minutes. Between San Antonio and Tabachinga is a ravine, on either side of which is a white pole marking the limits of the Republic and the Empire. 
Tabatinga has long been a military post, but, excepting the government buildings, there are not a dozen houses. Numerous Indians, however, of the Ticuna tribe, dwell in the neighboring forest. The comandante was Ilustrissimo Senor Tenente Aristides Juste Mavigné, a tall, thin, stooping officer, dressed in brown linen. He received us with great civility, and tendered a house and servant during our stay in port. We preferred, however, to accept the hospitalities of the Morona till the arrival of the Brazilian steamer. Senhor Mavigné was comandante of Manaus when visited by Agassi, and presented the professor with a hundred varieties of wood. With the like courtesy, he gave us a collection of reptiles, all of them rare, and many of them new species. He showed us also a live raposa, or wild dog, peculiar to the Amazon, but seldom seen. Tabatinga stands on an eminence of yellow clay, and is defended by twelve guns. The river in front is quite narrow, only about half a mile wide. Here are passports, which had been signed at Mawakayakta and Loreto, were endorsed by the comandante. They were afterward examined at Ega, Manaus, and Pará. The mean temperature of Tabatinga we found to be 82 degrees. Some rubber and salt fish are exported, but nothing of consequence is cultivated. Grapes, the people say, grow well, but are destroyed by the ants. The only fruit trees we noticed were the mamão, in Spanish papaya, aracá, and abiu. The papau tree bears male and female flowers on different trees, and hence receives the name of papaya or mamon, according to one's view of the preeminence of the sex. The juice of this tree is used by the ladies of the West Indies as a cosmetic, and by the butchers to render the toughest meat tender. The fruit is melon-shaped and of an orange-yellow color. Valkelin discovered in it fibrine, till lately supposed to be confined to the animal kingdom. The Peruvian steamers connect at Tabachinga with the Brazilian line. There are eight imperial steamers on the Amazon, the Icamiaba, running between Tabachinga and Manaus, the Tapajós and Belém, plying between Manaus and Pará, the Inca and Manaus, between Obidos and Pará, besides two steamers on the Tocantins, one between Pará and Charis, and projected lines for the Negro, Tapajós, and Madeira. The captains get a small salary, but the perquisites are large, as they have a percentage on the freight. One captain pocketed in one year $9,000. We embarked on December 12th on the Icamiaba, which promptly arrived at Tabatinga. The commander, formerly a lieutenant in the Imperial Navy, and for twelve years a popular officer in the upper Amazon, was a polished gentleman, but rigid disciplinarian. As an example of Brazilian etiquette, we give his full address from one of our letters of introduction. Ilustrissimo Senhor Capitão de Fragata, Nuno Alves Pereira de Melo Cardoso, Digno Comandante de Vapor e Camiaba. The Icamiaba was an iron boat of four hundred and fifty tons, with two engines of fifty horsepower each. The engineer was an Austrian, yet the captain gave his orders in English, though neither could speak the language. The saloon, with berths for twenty-five passengers, was above deck, 
and open at both ends for ventilation. The passengers, however, usually swung their hammocks on the upper deck, which was covered by an awning. This was a delightfully breezy and commanding position, and though every part of the steamer was in perfect order, this was scrupulously neat. Here the table was spread with every tropical luxury, and attentively served by young men in spotless attire. Happy the traveller who sits at the table of Comandante Cardoso. The refreshment hours were coffee as soon as the passengers turned out of their hammocks, and sometimes before, breakfast at ten, dinner at five, and tea at eight. Live bullocks, fowls, and turtles were kept on board, so that of fresh meat, particularly beef, the first we had tasted since leaving Quito, there was no lack. At breakfast we counted nine different courses of meat. The Peruvian steamers are limited to turtle and saltfish. Rice and farinha are extensively used in Brazil, but we saw very little tapioca. Farinha is the flower of the country, and is eaten in hard, dry grains. It will not keep in any other form. It cannot be very nutritious, as it contains little gluten. All bread and butter are imported from the United States and England. The captains of Brazilian steamers are their own stewards, and in the midst of other business in port, they stop to negotiate for a chicken or a dozen eggs with an Indian or Negro. The Icamiaba left Tabachinga with only three first-class passengers, besides our own party. On no Amazon steamer did we meet with a lady passenger. Madame Godin, who came down the river from the Andes, and Mrs. Agassi, who ascended to Tabachinga, were among the few ladies who have seen these upper waters. But how differently they traveled, one on a raft, the other on the beautiful Icamiaba. Between Tabachinga and Tefé, a distance of five hundred miles, is perhaps the most uncivilized part of the main river. Ascending, we find improvements multiply as we near the mountains of Peru. Descending, we see the march of civilization in the budding cities and expanding commerce culminating at Grampará. The scenery from the deck of an Amazonian steamer, if described, appears monotonous. A vast volume of smooth, yellow water floating trees and beds of aquatic grass, low, linear-shaped, wooded islets, a dark, even forest, the shores of a boundless sea of verdure, and a cloudless sky, occasionally obscured by flocks of parrots. These are the general features. No busy towns are seen along the banks of the middle Amazon, only here and there a palm hut or semi-Indian village half-buried in the wilderness. We agree with Darwin, speaking of the Plata, that a wide expanse of muddy water has neither grandeur nor beauty. The real grandeur, however, of a great river like this, is derived from reflecting upon its prospective commercial importance and its immense drainage. A lover of nature, moreover, can never tire of gazing at the picturesque grouping and variety of trees with their mantles of creeping plants, while a little imagination can see in the alligators, ganoid fishes, sea cows, and tall gray herons, the ichthyosaurus, holoptychius, 
dinotherium and brontozoon of ancient days here and there the river is bordered with low alluvial deposits covered with feathery topped arrowgrass and amphibious vegetation but generally the banks are about ten feet high and magnificently wooded they are abrupt and landslides are frequent a few minutes after leaving tabatinga we pass the mouth of the javari which forms the natural boundary between peru and brazil henceforth the river loses the name of maranon and is called solimões or more commonly simply amazon we were ten hours in reaching sao paulo a wretched ticuna village of five hundred souls built on a grassy tableland nearly one hundred feet high steps have been cut in the slippery clay bluff to facilitate the ascent swamps lie back of the town rendering it unhealthy on damp nights says the naturalist on the amazon the chorus of frogs and toads which swarm in weedy backyards creates such a bewildering uproar that it is impossible to carry on a conversation indoors except by shouting in ten hours more we had passed the putumayo and entered the tunantins a sluggish dark-colored tributary emptying into the amazon about two hundred miles below the javari on the bank of white earth which strongly contrasts with the tinted stream is a dilapidated hamlet of twenty-five hovels built of bamboo plastered with mud and whitewashed we saw but one two-storied house and all have ground floors and double thatched roofs the inhabitants are semi-civilized shumana and passe indians and half-breeds but in the gloomy forest which hugs the town live the wild caixanas the atmosphere is close and steaming but not hot the mercury at noon standing at eighty-three degrees the place is alive with insects and birds the nights on the amazon were invariably cool on the lower amazon cold so that we required a heavy blanket taking on board wood beeves turtles saltfish and watermelons we left at half past two p m the brazilian steamers run all night and with no slackening of speed at one o'clock we were awakened by a cry from the watch stop her and immediately after there was a crash but it was only the breaking of crockery caused by the sudden stoppage the night was fearfully dark and for aught we knew the steamer was running headlong into the forest fortunately there was no collision and in a few minutes we were again on our way arriving at fonteboa at four a m this little village stands in a palm grove on a high bank of ochre-colored sandy clay beside a slough of sluggish black water eight miles from the amazon the inhabitants about three hundred are ignorant lazy mamelucos they dress like the majority of the semi-civilized people on the amazon the men content with shirt and pantaloons the women wearing cotton or gold chemises and calico petticoats fonteboa is a museum for the naturalist but the headquarters of mosquitoes small but persistent taking in a large quantity of turtle oil the ikamiaba turned down the caño but almost immediately ran aground and we were two hours getting off these yearly shifting shoals in the amazon cannot be laid down in charts 
and the most experienced pilots often run foul of them. In twelve hours we entered the Tefe, a tributary from the Bolivian mountains. Just before reaching the great river, it expands into a beautiful lake with a wide sandy beach. On a grassy slope, stretching out into the lake with a harbor on each side of it, lies the city of Ega. A hundred palm-thatched cottages of mud and tiled frame houses, each with an enclosed orchard of orange, lemon, banana, and guava trees, surround a rude church marked by a huge wooden crucifix on the green before it instead of a steeple. Cacao, acai, and pupunha palms rise above the town, adding greatly to its beauty, while back of all, on the summit of the green slope, begins the picturesque forest, pathless, save here and there a faint hunter's track leading to the untrodden interior. The sheep and cattle grazing on the lawn, a rare sight in Alto Amazonas, gives a peaceful and inviting aspect to the scene. The inhabitants, numbering about twelve hundred, are made up of pure Indians, half-castes, negroes, mulattoes, and whites. Ega, also called Tefe, is the largest and most thriving town between Manaus and Iquitos, a distance of twelve hundred miles. It is also one of the oldest settlements on the river, having been founded during the English Revolution, or nearly two centuries ago. Tupi is the common idiom. The productions of the country are cacao, sarsaparia, Brazil nuts, bass for caulking vessels, copaiba balsam, India rubber, saltfish, turtle oil, manatee, grass hammocks, and tiles. Bates calculates the value of the annual exports at nearly $40,000. The Ikamiaba calls here twice a month, besides which there are small schooners which occupy about five months in the round trip between Ega and Pará. The place is healthy, writes the charming naturalist on the Amazon, and almost free from insect pests. Perpetual verdure surrounds it. The soil is of marvelous fertility, even for Brazil. The endless rivers and labyrinths of channels teem with fish and turtle. A fleet of steamers might anchor at any season of the year in the lake, which has uninterrupted water communication straight to the Atlantic. What a future is in store for the sleepy little tropical village. Here, Bates pursued butterflies for four years and a half, and Agassiz fished for six months. Ega is the halfway point across the continent, but its exact altitude above the sea is unknown. Herndon's boiling apparatus gave 2,000 feet, and what is worse, the lieutenant believed it. Our barometer made it 100 feet, but as our instrument, though perfect in itself, behaved very strangely on the middle Amazon, we do not rely on the calculation. The true height is not far from 125 feet, or one-fifth the elevation of the middle point in the North American continent. Taking on board saltfish, turtle oil, and tiles, we left Ega two hours after midnight, reaching Quadi at noon. The Amazon began to look more like a lake than a river, having a width of four or five miles. Floating gulls and rolling porpoises remind one of the sea. Quari is a huddle of fifteen houses, six of them plastered without, whitewashed, and tiled. It is situated on a lake of the same name, 
the expanded outlet of a small river whose waters are dark brown and whose banks are low and covered with bushes here we took in turtles and turtle oil brazil nuts and cocoa nuts rubber salt fish and wood and six hours after leaving more fish and rubber were received at Cudajá. Cudajá is a lonely spot on the edge of an extensive system of backwaters and lakes, running through a dense, unexplored forest inhabited by Muda savages. At three in the afternoon of Christmas, seventy-four hours running time from Tabachinga, we entered the Rio Negro. Strong is the contrast between its black-dyed waters and the yellow Amazon. The line separating the two rivers is sharply drawn, the waters meeting, not mingling. Circular patches of the dark waters of the Negro are seen floating like oil amid the turbid waters of the Amazon. The sluggish tributary seems to be dammed up by the impetuous monarch. The banks of the latter are low, ragged, perpendicular beds of clay, covered with a bright green foliage. The negro is fringed with sandy beaches, with hills in the background clothed with a somber, monotonous forest, containing few palms or leguminous trees. Mosquitoes, piums, and montucas never trouble the traveler on the inky stream. When seen in a tumbler, the water of the negro is clear, but of a light red color, due, undoubtedly, to vegetable matter. The visible mouth of the river at this season of the year, December, is three miles wide, but from mainland to mainland it cannot be less than twenty. In forty minutes after leaving the Amazon, we arrived at Manaus. This important city lies on the left bank of the Negro, ten miles from its mouth, and twenty feet above high-water level. The site is very uneven, and consists of ferruginous sandstone. There was originally a fort here, erected by the Portuguese to protect their slave-hunting expeditions among the Indians on the river, hence the ancient name of Baja. On the old map of Father Fritz, 1707, the spot is named Taromas. Since 1852 it has been called Manaus, after the most warlike tribe. Some of the houses are two-storied, but the majority are low adobe structures, white and yellow washed, floored and roofed with tiles, and having green doors and shutters. Every room is furnished with hooks for hanging hammocks. We did not see a bed between Quito and New York, except on the steamers. The population, numbering two thousand, is a mongrel set, Brazilians, Portuguese, Italians, Jews, Negroes, and Indians, with diverse crosses between them. Laziness is the prominent characteristic. A gentleman offered an Indian passing his door twenty-five cents if he would bring him a pitcher of water from the river, only a few rods distant. He declined. But I will give you fifty cents, whereupon the half-clothed, penniless aboriginal replied, I will give you a dollar to bring me some. While every inch of the soil is of exuberant fertility, there is always a scarcity of food. It is the dearest spot on the Amazon. Most of the essentials and all of the luxuries come from Liverpool, Lisbon, and New York. Agriculture is at a discount on the Amazon. Brazilians will not work. European immigrants are traders, 
nothing can be done with indians and negroes are few in number the slave trade being abolished emancipation begun and the Paraguayan war not ended a laboring class will ever be a desideratum in this tropical country with a healthy climate and a situation at the juncture of two great navigable rivers manaus is destined to become the st louis of south america in commercial advantages it is hardly to be surpassed by any other city in the world having water communication with two-thirds of the continent and also with the atlantic it is now the principal station for the brazilian line of steamers here all goods for a higher or lower point are reshipped the chief articles of export are coffee of superior quality sarsaparia brazil nuts piaçaba and fish the negro at this point is really five or six miles wide but the opposite shore is masked by low islands so that it appears to be but a mile and a half the country around manaus is quite romantic for the amazonian valley the land is undulating and furrowed by ravines and the vegetation covering it is marvelously rich and diversified in the forest two miles from the city there is a natural curiosity celebrated by all travelers from spicks and marshes down a rivulet coming out of the wilderness falls over a ledge of red sandstone ten feet high and fifty feet broad forming a beautiful cascade the water is cool and of a deep orange color the foundation of a fine stone cathedral was laid in manaus fourteen years ago but this generation is not likely to witness the dedication life in this amazonian city is dull enough commerce is not brisk and society is stiff balls are about the only amusements on sunday the holiday everybody who can afford it comes out in paris fashions there are carts but no coaches we called upon the president at his palace an odd term for a two-storied whitewashed edifice his excellency received us with less formality and more cordiality than we expected to find in the solemn officials of the empire the first glance at the reception room with the four chairs for visitors set in two lines at right angles to the chair of state promised cold etiquette but he addressed us with considerable familiarity and evident good will we found however that his authority was quite limited for a written order which he gave us for a subordinate did not receive the slightest consideration at the house of a jew named levy we met a party of southerners captains mallory jones sandedge and wynn commanded by dr dowsing who since the late unpleasantness as nasby calls it have determined to settle in this country the government grants them twenty square leagues of land on any tributary on condition that they will colonize it they were about to start for the rio branco on an exploring tour End of chapter sixteen